Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the First in Orange podcast presented by the Denver Post. This is Denver Post sports writer Kyle Newman, joined by my colleague Ryan O'Halloran. Per usual, we got a packed show for you here today, talking the latest update in the Broncos' ownership situation, what a settlement would mean, and if there's a timetable on an imminent sale for the team. Also talking to Marius Thomas's retirement and the Ring of Honor, and some bubble players heading into training camp here in a couple weeks who might be fighting for a spot. So Ryan, we'll start off with the news of the week, and it was supposed to be a slow time in the NFL offseason. Well, never a slow time with this Broncos ownership drama. Ryan, why don't you update us here on just the latest ruling and what's going on with the Bolin daughters and the trial? I think it's still a mess. Um, so know, that's, to, that's a good succinct way to summarize it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to use a bleep show, uh, but uh, you know, it's, family, it's a family podcast, family but, podcast. um, the trial was supposed to start July 12th here in Arapahoe County and Amy Clemmer, Beth Bowen, Wallace plaintiffs against the trustees has hurt their father appointed, uh, more than a decade ago. Uh, the sisters felt like the Pat did not have the uh, capacity uh, mentally to sign his estate planning documents, and also he was unduly influenced by the trustees. They wanted the trustees out, gone, fired. Um, I may be the only one in town who's surprised that this is not going to happen. I thought both sides were dug in. I mean, I'm talking to both sides for nearly three years. They were adamant they would win at trial, so why not go to trial? Um, what we don't know is a lot of stuff. Because, and I feel both sides did a disservice to the Bronco fan base. And it's not about the media and answering our questions, but, you know, the readers have questions for us. What does this mean? Is the team going to be up for sale? Is there a settlement? To which, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Um, You know, a couple of the experts I talked to said, hey, this is probably trending toward a settlement where both sides are close enough to the finish line where they tell the judge, we're going to get, we're going to get there. We don't need a trial. Um, what would a settlement look like? Uh, to me, there's only one thing. The sisters agree to drop their claims if the team's put up for sale, period. Uh, Beth, Beth Bolin intimated that in December when she uh, put out a lengthy statement saying she, she wanted a uh, quick and seamless uh, ownership transition. No, that's not to Brittany Bolin. So, um, you know, I want to say we're not out of the woods yet in terms of covering litigation, but it, uh, appears that we're trending that way. And then the next big off the field storyline would be the future of the team and whether it'd be sold or not. And in your mind, does this expedite that possibility that the Broncos are sold? I think it does. And that's, you know, um, and that's where I think both sides aired again is, uh, you know, one thing fans want to know when they're going to get Aaron Rodgers and who's going to be the next owner. Those are the two big questions right now. So, and, and I put in the in uh, Thursday's Denver Post, you know, the fans pay for the salaries of these trustees. They buy tickets and merchandise to increase the value of the franchise, which will benefit the sisters. So I think they I think uh, there's some transparency that needs to be required there. I do think this is a precursor to a sale. I can't think of anything else that would make sense. I don't see Beth and Amy selling their shares within the family because I don't think the rest of the family has that kind of cash. In fact, they're pretty dang sure that they don't. So um, one interesting part, you'll never, we'll never really get to the bottom of it, is did the NFL office you know, step in and, and mediate um, and say, hey, you don't want all that dirty laundry come out in public, and this trial was going to be open to the media. 
Um, so, hey, come up with a deal. The trustees can sail off into retirement with a finder's fee. They can run the sale, potentially, and, and then everybody goes away. Not so much happy, but at least it's over. Well, and as you mentioned in your story, Ryan, it's, it's interesting to look at this potential legal battle, which has been put in park for now. But the trustees, you know, they don't really have to prove anything. It's the sisters who, as the experts you talked to mentioned, they have an uphill battle should this eventually go to trial, if it ever did, uh, to prove, you know, their father's wishes were not carried out in, in, in the correct yeah. manner. Yeah, I mean, capacity in Colorado, they would have had a tough go. They probably knew that. Um, they, I, my guess is they're banking on undue influence, which means is there is there proof and evidence that the trustees use Pat's illness to their advantage? Very tough to prove. Would have been interesting to see who they called as witnesses, what those witnesses would have had to say, what would the, the, the narrative of the trial been. Um, that is not officially moot, but... Um, you know, a couple of questions I got via from email from readers via email today were, well, this side knew they were going to lose, so they wanted to settle. Well, the other side thought they were going to lose and they wanted to settle. Could 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 be true. Um, and uh, that you know, when you feel like the deck is stacked against you, maybe it is time to settle instead of going through a loss. So that's one thing. You know, maybe one of the things we'll never find out either. First Orange Podcast, this is Kyle Newman, that's Ryan O'Halloran. We'll continue to read the tea leaves on this situation and provide updates as they come. Of course, denverpost.com slash Broncos. Moving on with the show here. Earlier news this week on a lighter note, Demarius Thomas announcing his retirement. And waves of support poured in from all across the league, former Broncos and beyond, for a guy who was pretty instrumental in the Broncos' last wave of success and uh, pretty much towards the top of the charts and in, in, in mo- most of the major receiving categories for the team. Yeah, he, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he uh, was first round draft pick in 2010. Didn't play a lot. Didn't have a lot of production his first, first two years. Once Peyton Manning signed here in 2012, everybody benefited, including Demarius Thomas. A um, couple stats for DT from 2012 to 2017. Manning's five years here, and then the first year post Peyton. Demarius Thomas didn't miss a game. He ranked second in the NFL in catches, third in yards, and fourth in touchdowns. So him and Antonio Brown and Julio Jones were in the conversation for the best receiver in pro football during that time. You know, he, he finished his career at the Broncos, second in free receiving yards and touchdown catches behind Rod Smith, and third in catches behind Smith and Shannon Sharp, and then first in receiving yards per game at 72.4. Um you know, there was a youth movement here in 18. DT was in the last year of his contract. So that was my first year covering a team. So I didn't really get to know him or talk to him a lot like some of the mafia did. And, um, and you know, they drafted Cortland Sutton. They drafted Deshaun Hamilton that year. So they, you know, I thought John, John Elway made a good deal at the deadline. He traded uh, Thomas to Houston. Uh, he was in line to appear in the playoffs for the Texans, but Torrey's Achilles, Simon New England, got cut, went to the Jets, and then didn't play this past year. Um I think he will be, uh, you know, a ringer famer. I mean, he the receivers in right now are Lionel Taylor, Haven Moses, Rod Smith, and Rick Upchurch. So he uh, definitely merits that, uh, consider, merits that honor. But uh, not a Hall of Famer, not in the top twenty-five of those any stats. But he had a, he had a really good career and made a lot of good uh, money. So look to his number being put up in the Ring of Fame sometime here in the coming years. 
I'm on that same page as you, Ryan. Definite Ring of Fame uh, talent and contributions to the franchise, especially when you look at that stretch when Peyton Manning came to town with the Sheriff throwing him the football. I'd argue he was the best wideout in football, at least for one or two of those years. Again, first Orange podcast, Kyle Newman, Ryan O'Halloran. So we'll close the show here with some talk on bubble players heading into camp. And Ryan, you wrote about this last week for DenverPost.com and, of course, in the paper. But we got five guys on your list that really need to have a good performance here in camp and in the preseason in order to cement their spot in the roster. Uh, and a couple of them, some, some draft picks from last year. Uh, one of them, a highly hyped offensive lineman who some believe is – very highly hyped. Highly hyped. Who's going to walk into the starting job. And then uh, a couple of predictable guys with a running back and a safety. So let's start off number one on your list, Derek Tuska. Why do you think he's on the bubble and what does he need to do here in the next couple months to cement his spot for fall? Yeah, he's going to get a hell of a chance in, in training camp in the preseason games because you don't figure they're going to play Miller and Chubb a lot. You know, Vaughn, Bradley, and Malik Reed are your three edge rushers. So. If you you know they're going to keep a fourth, is it Tuska? Is it Jonathan Cooper from Ohio State, the rookie who didn't participate in offseason program because of uh, his heart procedure? So you know Tuska plays special teams, but you know if there's if if Baron Browning works a little bit at outside linebacker during the uh, off during the training camp and preseason, that may make Tuska a practice squad candidate. Okay, moving to Calvin Anderson at tackle. So he made the team. Hey, legend. So he started one game last year at right at right tackle and at left tackle, also against uh, in a different game. Now, once Elijah Wilkinson went out of town, uh, Broncos didn't bring back Demar Dotson. So it, what is he going to have to do now? Obviously, with some other newcomers now in town to prove his worth on this roster. Yeah, I mean, you know, that backup swing tackle is up for grabs because Garrett Bowles is entrenched at left tackle. I expect Bobby Massey, if healthy, to play right tackle. Right. And the question is going to be, do they like Calvin Anderson, a young player, more than they like Cam Fleming, a veteran who has a higher salary? That gives Calvin, I think, the edge going in is he's a lot cheaper. But, you know, during the offseason, people run with storylines. And, you know, the, 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 some people were saying, well, you know, they let Wilkinson go. They're not bringing back Dodson. They must really like Calvin Anderson as a right tackle option if Jawan James gets hurt. Well, Jawan James got hurt. And not only did they sign one right tackle, they signed two right tackles, Massey and Fleming. So I think Calvin, I wouldn't put Calvin as a long shot. I think he has a decent shot to make the team, but he needs a good camp. Long shot, in my mind, is running back Royce Freeman, who you have on this list. And, Running back room is pretty stacked ahead of them. You got Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, 1A, 1B, whatever you want to do there. And then Mike Boone as that auxiliary back who they signed in free agency. Is there any room left for Royce Freeman, or is this preseason going to be about him uh, putting some tape on for some other teams after he gets waived? That's how I would approach it if I was Royce, is make myself valuable to another team. Um I mean, they could do some roster gymnastics, but four tailbacks is a lot, especially when one of them cannot play fullback. That said, I think Royce is a good player. Uh, he was overshadowed by Philip Lindsay the first year and then overshadowed by Melvin Gordon this past year. Um, and so if I'm the Broncos, I give Royce a lot of work in the joint practices. I give him a lot of work in the preseason games because he could have value to a team that gets banged up at the running back spot in August, says, hey, We'll flip you a six-round pick that becomes a fifth if he meets certain statistical thresholds. Boom. You get something for him instead of just cutting him. But, uh, I mean, I think Royce is going to help a team summer this year. It just may not be here. 
So finish off the discussion with a couple guys on the defensive side of the ball. Defensive lineman McKelvin Ajim, second-year pro who was picked in the third round last year, and also safety Trey Marshall, who big special teamers, but Broncos obviously had a couple new rookies at safety this year who will also play special teams, and they got P.J. Locke, uh, and they got Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson starting, of course. Is there any room for both those guys, and what do they have to do? Ajim needs to show me something because he hadn't shown me anything. Um, he couldn't get on the field last year to play defense, even though they ran out of linemen. You know, they, as you remember, they signed Sylvester Williams. Yeah, that was a bad sign for him. That was a bad sign yeah. for him. And so this is a third-round pick. And, and as I wrote, being a third-round pick earns you another year. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was telling during the uh, mandatory minicamp when they finally did 11-11 and no Purcell, no Shelby Harris, that Gene wasn't with the ones. I mean, maybe we're trying to send him a message. If he can stand up against the run, he could be a rotation guy. But, I mean, I think there's issues on the D-line overall, and he's one of the problems why. You look at last year's third round, Cushenberry, starting center last year. Ojemudier, not very good. He's now like fifth or sixth on the depth chart. Now you got a Jim who can't get on the field. So, not an ideal third round, but um, – yeah, I have him on the 53-man roster because he, he is only a second year in a third-round pick. Trey Marshall's gone from third to third to maybe sixth on the depth chart in one offseason. Trey's problem was he couldn't stay healthy last year. Got right. banged up toward the end of the year. Special teams core guy, but they also think P.J. Locke is a special teams core, core guy. You mentioned the two rookies, Jamar Johnson and Caden uh, Stearns, drafted in the fifth round by uh, George Payton. I think both those guys have a chance to stick. And so I guess I, I picked Locke over PJ Locke over Trey Marshall for that final fifth and final uh, safety spot. First Norse podcast. That's Ryan O'Halloran. This is Kyle Newman. You can head to DenverPost.com slash Broncos for complete early 53 man projections, more podcasts, analysis, and much more. Appreciate you listening in to today's show. Again, tune in next week and DenverPost.com slash Broncos for more. Until next time, folks, take it easy.